Hey there, rugby fans. Welcome to another great episode of the Run, Pass or Kick interview here with your team from the Rugby Rant. My name is Ty Brogger, your host for today's activities alongside Rob, the Hammer Hammerschmidt, and joining us here today to be put to the test in our Run, Pass or Kick interview is Mikey Brown. Mike, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, Ty. Thanks for having me. Really looking forward to speaking. Um, Love talking rugby. Right. I mean, like you said before, what else to do on a Sunday except chat about rugby, right? It's a pretty good start to the day. And talking about that, today's episode is a little bit special. Uh, we decided to be able to go live with Mikey Brown, who's got some wonderful insights to share, not only about his time in professional rugby here in the U.S. landscape, but more recently about his time when he's transitioned from Rooney through to the Dallas organization and everything inside it. So a lot to unpack but before we jump into that, I want to remind our viewers how it works. So be able to run you through it. We hand the ball to Rob Hammerschmidt. Thank you very much, Ty. Uh, and for all those of you guys who are watching at home, um, it's an interesting day. Uh, Scott couldn't join us, unfortunately. He had a little bit of a furnace emergency. Uh, and it's snowmageddon here in Chicago. Wait, 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 hold on. So is it really getting hot for him? Yeah. <laughs> no, the opposite. He has to cool down. Um, so yeah, you said it was 25 in, in, in the house. So he's got, he's got quite an issue. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, here in Chicago, it's snow again. They, they, uh, mother nature dropped 10 inches on us. I've been out shoveling twice today already. So it's, uh, it's cruel master and Mikey, I wish I was down in Dallas uh, where it's 70 degrees and, and the weather is absolutely stunning. Uh, so for those uninitiated, the run passer kick is our unique interview style. It works quite like this. Um, we'll, ask questions of Mike, and uh, we'll prompt those questions with run, pass, or kick. So he has three options. Like any good rugby player, he's got to think on his feet, and we, I'm sure that he will today, no doubt. He can run with a question, which is to say he's going to go ahead and answer it and take it straight up. He can pass a question, uh, which is to say that, you know, it's a tough one to answer, and I'm sure there might be some of those today. Uh, so, so he'll probably pass on a few. We can expect that. Um, or he can have a little fun, and if, even if he doesn't want to answer it, he can kick it back to us on the kick, and that means that we have to answer in his stead, and he can give us a grade, tell us we were really good or tell us we were horrible. Uh, he can get to play coach for the day. So, Mikey, are you ready for the run, pass, or kick challenge? I'm ready. Bring it on. Awesome. Um, so, Ty, why don't you do some introductions here? I know that there's some uh, questions that you'd like to ask that are tied uniquely right. uh, to some things that are near and dear to your heart. Well, before we jump into that, uh, as you so rightly pointed out, Scott is not with us here today. So in his absence, like you did last time, you were flying the Rooney flags. I thought I would put on the Rooney colors. Oh, yeah. It burns a little bit, though. Uh, <laughs> you feel a little you know, It feels nice. <laughs> but, I, had uh, wear, I had to wear my NOLA shirt just, uh, just to compensate. Yeah, yeah, you had to. <laughs> you just had to wear your NOLA shirt. Yeah, I but, you know, it's, it's, it really is great. So talking about the cold, this is a pretty good hoodie, though. This is a really <laughs> nice hoodie. I like the quality. Um, I've got to tell you, as a South African, I'm still not in my natural habitat when it comes to the cold of the Midwest. Uh, I tell you, you know, back in Cape Town, we're a pretty weak people. If it reaches below 68, we're like, ah, I don't think we should go outside. <laughs> so so uh, it's taken a little bit of adjustment. But thanks to the rugby shop with this hoodie, it's it's stellar. You know, it's nice and warm, uh, really comfy. Um, you know, the colors don't bother me too much. I'll get used to the Rooney colors. <laughs> it's a great hoodie that. for a, sun, a cold Sunday morning, man. I just sometimes I like to have my coffee, put the hood up. And yeah. uh, just uh, I, tell you, I could have had one of these when I was at the Raptors games as the announcer there. They put you on a balcony, which is like when the wind whips around, it hits you, and it's uh, all the ice I mean, snow is pushed to the side. So you're just kind of like getting this cold breeze whip around. And the first time I went, I'm like, I went with like basically just a t shirt, not realizing that like after about 3 p.m., the, the temperature plummets yeah. in, in Denver area. So yeah, I could have yeah. done something like this. But more to the point though. Let's talk about Mikey Brown and your career because it's been an interesting tale. I mean, you've pretty much seen like everything the MLR can throw at you, right? I mean, and you come out on the other side. So, you know, we wanted to be able to learn more about that. So to be able to frame it and get people to understand your career, where you came from, it starts really much further back than most players in the U.S. 
get introduced yeah. to rugby, you know, you you were fortunate enough. We were talking off camera before the game. Uh, sorry, before the game, before this show, <laughs> that you spent some time in South Africa. So my first question is derived from that. Now, to frame it again, I believe it was as young as 12 years old that your family had packed their bags, moved across to South Africa where they yeah. settled in East London, and you had the fortunate ability to attend what is still today regarded as one of the best rugby schools in the entire South African area, and that is Selborne College. So my question stands here for you, Mike. Run, pass, or kick. How did this time playing rugby at Selborne College in South Africa shape the rest of your career? Run, pass, or kick? Yeah, I'll definitely run. Um, you know, I think it, I, I look back at it a lot of times, actually, and be like, wow, if I didn't go back there, would I be at a place where I'm at today? Probably not. Um, you know, the play at that, I didn't realize at that time, but, you know, that was definitely rugby royalty. Uh, definitely shaped my career, my rugby career. You know, you play, you're pretty much, you know, at play it's rugby 24-7 there. You know, it's all boys' school, so you got to think like, hey, you know, American football, if you went to the biggest, you know, Texas school, uh, or their, their football 24-7, so it would be the same type of thing. Recess, you're playing touch rugby, and then you go to practice, you're playing rugby, and it's, you know, six days a week. You're playing against some stellar competition. Um, just, you know, every practice, you know, there's about, I think they have per each grade, you know, sometimes per each grade, they have about five or six teams. So all the way through like a, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, you know, team. So it's always competitive, always fun. And yeah, it would definitely shape my career. The, the love of rugby I had a great rugby culture. Um, there's nothing more pure than, you know, a schoolboy rugby. Uh, some, some, some of the best rugby I still like to watch today. So definitely hugely impacted my life. Right. One great aspect of rugby at that age group in South Africa, and this is such a fun memory for me, uh, having been born and raised in South Africa, playing as what yeah. we refer to as Carl Foot Rugby, right? <laughs> it's barefoot rugby. Yeah. Um, so yeah. no no boots, right, until you reach yeah. a more senior age. But those yeah. are the fundamentals of the game that you learn there that, you know, as I said before, you were introduced to much earlier than what most of your counterparts mm. here in the U.S. might have only picked up the game at college level. So mm. uh, a credit to you. But really, that was a springboard into the rest of your career. Oh, it definitely was. Um, you know, I don't take it for granted. You know, some of the questions, they just come naturally to me. You know, you, you what we talk about getting rugby to play at a younger age in the U.S. and much different. You see things much easier now. Uh, some things just come more naturally. So um, that gives me motivation sort of to help more U.S. kids to sort of, you know, have the pathway that I had so because I could see how much more transition how much easier the game is if you start at an early age excellent yeah well I, I want to get into that a little bit later so hold that one fire <laughs> that one back your brain because that that one's going to come up um and by the way uh make mention there I, I we can assume uh Doug and Debbie Brown are related maybe uh, just to guess yeah, yeah just to guess yeah that's my mom <laughs> shout out to mom thanks mom for watching oh, yeah. hi mom uh, he, he, yep, there he goes. He gets a shout out to mom. <laughs> Give some love to mom. Um, so uh, I, I want to take it from there a little bit with this next question because this one intrigued me truly. Uh, again, as Ty pointed, rightly pointed out, uh, a lot of American players, and myself included, I didn't pick up the game until I was 24, 25 years old, uh, mm -hmm. really late in my career. Uh, you had obviously a different experience. We're immersed in the rugby culture in South Africa, yeah. which is unique for a lot of American players. And so my question revolves around this. I know that, you know, you guys were, your family moved down there. Your dad was with Chrysler. You're from the Detroit area originally. Yeah. Um, and then you came back after spending some time in South Africa. Mm. Uh, so run, pass, or kick. Uh, was it frustrating for you to play rugby in the United States as a young player when most of the kids around you were just learning the game and, and, and were, you know, not well healed, probably never seen much rugby and therefore, you know, didn't even have some of those instinctual understandings of the game yeah. to, to play it effectively. Were you well, run past your kick? Did you get frustrated yeah. with your teammates or how did you deal with that? I'll run. Um, honestly, I didn't even know that there was actually rugby in the U S coming back. You know, I didn't even know there's a local team. And then one day, I think it was like three or four months after, you know, I was transitioned. I thought I was, you know, done playing rugby in soccer in general. There's no more rugby that day, you know, U S doesn't really have rugby. Didn't even know it. Then my mom said, Oh, there's a local, you know, club over here. So just to play, um, I was just happy just to play honestly. Cause I thought it was, I was done playing. Um, I think, I learned, you know, when I got out there, I learned that, you know, a lot of guys don't know what to do and don't know what to play. It's just, it makes rugby fun, you know? Like, 
I was, who am I to say, you know, I had a bunch of guys that when I was, what, three years prior to that, that I didn't know what to do. And these guys were yelling at me and I didn't, you know, that didn't make me feel very good, but I made me learn. So next time when I was helping, you know, I want to make sure that, Hey, like I, how did, how did I feel when they yelled at me? Not very good. So these guys had a lot more experience than me and were a lot more better at the time. So let me just learn these guys. And, uh, you know, that's the best way to grow, not someone to yell. So, um, I think it was actually positive and, um, you know, high school rugby, you know, even America too, some of the best memories, you know, at that age. Yeah. So walk us through. So you come back as in high school. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, where did your rugby career go from there? So you play in high, you mm. playing a little bit in high school with the local club team. And then yeah. talk us, walk us through. And I know this yeah. is a run past your kick question, but I think it's important for people to understand some context. How did you get from there uh, to the point where you're ready to, to uh, go to the MLR or pro level setup here in the United States? Yeah. So I played there uh, was it, you know, high school was pretty good. Um, you know, we were able to play in a bunch of, you know, uh, tournaments, Midwest tournaments and um, in a place called Elkhart, Indiana. Um, and then after um, played there, I played, uh, I got introduced to Bowling Green State University. Uh, Roger Mozzarella has been there for a while and Tony Mozzarella. So I played there for about four years, played there, was lucky, lucky my senior year to be noticed as All-American, played there. Um, from there, there was an All-American camp and one of the coaches um, that were out there was uh, Marty Veal. Um, he was assistant head coach uh, at the time, and he was a old, he was doing old blue. Uh, he was an old blue head coach, and he's like, "Hey, like, um, you know, if you don't have anything going on afterwards, um, you know, we can, um, you know, you should we ship you to New York." However, I was still going over. I had a um, I played over in Scotland for about three months before I got hurt with my meniscus. Played for the Glasgow Hawks. They're like a feeder between um, the Glasgow Warriors. Played there for three months. Got hurt. And then that's when he was like, oh, well, that's when I reach out to him and be like, hey, I'm interested in New York and then played club rugby for Old Blue. And then um, went, you know, for a couple of years. And then once the MLR started kicking on, uh, sort of just, you know, they were like, all right, you know, we'll, you know, sort of start out as a huge tryout in New York. And then they just dwindle it down from all the clubs and went right there. And then I was ready to go for the exhibition season and been immersed in the MLR since then. Right. Cool. It's funny you say that you played at Elkhart because that's, um, Myself in Illinois, I'm in Elkhart, you know, just a couple yeah. of away. I've actually taken teams to Elkhart to compete. I'm <laughs> probably watched out on the field, light it up, and didn't really know it. Uh, great field. Were at that time. Yeah, it was a great setup. I mean, for those that don't know Elkhart, Indiana, it's, um, it's an Elks Lodge, but they've got it set up. They have, what, three or four fields set up, yep. and they're all grass, and they're, I mean, for United States, they are really well-groomed and manicured. They do one heck of a job over there. It's yeah. a really nice Midwest tournament for, um, yeah. you know, select sides and whatnot. So, um, they, you know, if, if, if anybody, any uh, coaches are out there, it's a great opportunity to take your kid to a very competitive environment. So, 100%. yeah. Um, Ty, you had a question, it looks like. Yeah, actually, I just wanted to be able to uh, – so when you talk about your journey to the MLR – I mean, yep. getting there is one story. When you're there, it's a completely different story, right? Yeah. So yeah. you pointed out that you were fortunate enough to be a part of the Rooney setup that eventually became Rooney, should I say, in 2018 mm. with the exhibition season. You yeah. subsequently then were then moving to Austin at the time was with the Elite, where yeah. I believe you started seven out of eight games for the Elite. So you could say that you were there for the entire existence of the Elite <laughs> before I change it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, so you're looking at a guy who came from club rugby. I mean, you personify the story of many rugby players in Major League Rugby. So yeah. that's why I want to kind of dig into this. Yeah. but. That transition from club rugby at a great level with Old Blue, then moving into the exhibition season where you hear, hey, there's going to be professional rugby coming to uh, to New yeah. York area. And, you know, recently an article kind of highlighted how frantic and chaotic a situation it was to give birth yeah. to this franchise. Uh, and you're right there in the middle of it. And then yeah. after that, in the inaugural season, you move to Elite where they're starting up again. I mean, tell us yeah. about some of the trials and tribulations along the way. I mean, yeah, definitely, you know, there's some, definitely there's a lot of moving pieces in the back part that, you know, people, it's not all glitz and glamour. <laughs> however, you know, following you in every corner. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> I like that, you know, subway rides, bus rides. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, sort of goes back to what I'm saying. It's just, you know, we play, I had such a good rugby culture growing up. I realized the love of the sport and what it means. So it just didn't matter exactly how, how they, you know, 
there's a lot of craziness and the, the business-wise, a lot of things last minute. It doesn't look very professional because it is a startup. But and they, the pure just wanting to, you know, play professional rugby. Um, that just kept us, you know, a lot of the guys, including myself, just kept me going. So just at that, you know, like I said, it starts all the way back when I was, you know, 12 to, you know, sort of realize the culture, rugby culture and what's it all about and, you know, playing for your teammates um, and, you know, just playing it and trying to give it your best. So, um, like, definitely there's some in both New York and the league. Um, but like I said, it's a startup. You got to understand what you're getting yourself into. It, it is a startup. And, um, I think both of them, you know, that just any other sports league, there's trials and errors. Right. And what was the culture like when you moved across to the Austin elite? Cause the elite yeah. themselves have kind of an interesting pass, you know, from the elite to the transition, um, you know, the, with the herd, mm. then onto now it's more familiar Gilgronies, mm. which was a major shift in its, in its. Yeah identity as well as its its ethos and of course the professionalism there too sure. um so tell us a little bit about that transition and some of those key points that made being an austin unique yeah austin yeah so i went with um but well two buddies of mine ross deacon and marcus walsh also went down there so we all lived together down there um probably the best you know it was a great three months four months i stayed down there some great guys i think it was just um you know we got there down on a like monday and we were playing Glendale, you know, on that Saturday. So, you know, we didn't really know each other that well. We needed some more, probably needed some more time. We felt like, you know, we were just like, it was the, short, the season was shorter, remember. We were just right. getting together. Um, I think, you know, if we had a longer season, that team could have been actually, you know, really good. I know, you know, we were sort of in the playoff line. We won the last game against San Diego, but we beat San Diego that year by, you know, 30 plus at home. So um, I think it was just, it was unfortunate the season was getting just so short. I think it hurt us that we just all came from, you know, all over the place. Um, They had some, I think they had some really good pieces, um, you know, with, I think Roland Sumiolo was really good at the time for for leadership. Andrew, uh, you had Todd Clever that was in the mix too. He was coming in and out. Um, And then you had, you know, local guys like, you know, Zinzan, Mason Peterson, Ben Mitchell, um, you know, you know, I think that, you know, they had too much shift going on to be the, you know, the, um, the herd. Um, you know, or the Austin League, whatever they were, and when they went 0 and 16, I think they just had too many moving pieces uh, going back and forth. They had a lot of, you know, we were going back to New York, but um, I thought they actually had a good group. It's just short timing, you know. No one knew each other. We were all hopping on planes last second. Um, but I really enjoyed Austin. Um, the, like I said, the players' leadership. You, you got to play with Todd Clever. Uh, that's that's amazing. Looking back on it, Andrew Andrew Suniola and Roland. That's amazing to play with those guys. So, um, and then, like I said, Ben Mitchell, class player, going to be a USA Eagle soon, and um, Zinzan too, and Mason. So you look at that, you had a, you, had, you had some great talent there. So, I, and Austin's awesome, great town to be in. So I enjoyed it for sure. And uh, real quick, we have a fan question here. Um, I'm not yeah. sure how fair it is to ask uh, this of you, but we're going to put it up there anyway. The big guy wants to know who is your favorite fan. <laughs> Uh, I want to be careful because uh, Doug and Debbie Brown are indeed listening. So <laughs> I would probably say my parents, but Scott, Scott's, you know, neutral, no, no ties, no blood relation. You know, Scott's Scott's number one. He, he's always he's always pulling for me, so I appreciate him. <laughs> cool. Hey, I want to talk a little bit about your experience down there in Austin and get some context. Um, it, it's kind of funny because when I really started following the league, uh, we started to see things in Austin kind of began to really turn for the worse. It was that period where, you know, there were some rough goings, yeah. uh, their, their owner, Terry, um, you know, made some comments in the media, uh, yeah. that, you know, a lot of people pointed to is, is creating some toxicity. Um, there was a lot of, uh, toxicity with, uh, the Huns and with the blacks, um, mm-hmm. what was the culture? I mean, give us an insight and this is run past or kick. My question, yeah. what was the culture like down there? Was it as mm-hmm. toxic as everybody was hearing via rumor mill? Oh, mm-hmm. no, I'll run. Um, you know, I think it was, wasn't the best, you know, it starts from the top, you know, any organizations. You know, I think that was, you know, a mantra going forward. And I think you need the club to survive. You know, you're killing your fan base. If you didn't agree with them and you're not in good standing with them, you'll never, you know, you'll never go anywhere. If you don't have the rugby community, right. we don't have a big enough fan base in the beginning to start, you know, to start with each market just without without the rugby community. So if you don't even have it, then you're really going to be behind the eight ball. And I think um, you need the rugby community behind you 100%. Yeah, it was funny. Um, 
you talk about that because the uh, Huns actually came up just after that season in the fall. The, the, the old boys came up mm-hmm. and they played the Blaze. And we have a friend, a friend of mine, a mate of mine, Adam Scheidler. I don't know if you know uh, Adam's mm-hmm. running around the Austin circles uh, in rugby. Mm-hmm. Anyway, all those boys came up. Old boys played, and that was one of the questions in the clubhouse after a Thursday night training: is, you know, yeah. what's going on down there? And you know, all, I, I, I yeah. talked to somebody. They go, "We don't want to talk about it." Yeah, it, it just seemed that there was some, you know, that the that the ownership had not done enough to embrace all the clubs and bring them into the fold, yeah. like you say, and and try to uh, right build a rugby community that was supportive of the you know MLR franchise. Hundred percent. Right. I definitely agree with with something you said a moment ago, Mike, is that you got to make sure that you you really engage your local rugby community yeah. and more importantly, the fans who are, in our opinion, definitely on the show. And I'm pretty sure you might feel the same way, Mike, and those at mm-hmm. home may very well, too, is that the fans are the greatest asset to to rugby in okay. general across the U.S. and Canada because it is such a niche sport still. It's driven by the passion of those people that enjoy it. You know, we'll be willing to do the extra hours. We'll be willing to drive farther than any other sport needed to do what we do because we love the game so much. And, you know, this is kind of how I want to be able to take the opportunity to transition into a little bit more talk about your time more recently, moving away from the elite conversation where you then Mm -hmm. had the chance to return to Rooney in the past season and more recently then chose to be able to move across to Dallas. Now, this has become a hot topic for obvious reasons for rugby fans out there. They know some of the complications surrounding the the, the Dallas exit um, for the 2021 season, a postponement, so to speak, and they're posed to or poised to return in 2022. However, what transpired leading up to that conversation was is people like you who put faith in an organization and packed your bags and moved to a new city – Uh, to be able to find a new rugby home in Dallas with all the great anticipation and excitement that comes around from this new expansions uh, was, was unfortunately a little bit of a letdown to say the least. So my question would be run, pass or kick. Can you tell us the best and worst thing to summarize this experience so far? Mm. Uh, Yeah, I'll run with that. Um, The best thing actually. So um, I actually moved down here a little earlier, uh, the start of the new year, because I've actually, uh, coaching at uh, Dallas Jesuit, uh, assistant coach with Matt Upton in that program. And um, actually loving it. Uh, that's like five days a week. Uh, you know, um, Yeah. So we're doing, they actually treat it like a, um, like a normal sport, just like everyone else there, you know, a lot of money at Jesuit, all Nike. Um, there's about 60 kids that play rugby there. We got a uh, varsity that's about 35 and a huge uh, freshman class, 25 freshmen that are playing rugby. Wow. Um, so lo- loving that. Um, so yeah, that was sort of my thing of was after, you know, we were going to be training in the mornings, uh, the coaching was from like four to six. I was able to do both. So that was sort of what, you know, a lot of it was sort of gearing me to come to Dallas. Cause I really believe that um, Dallas is a huge market that can make it work. And there's some really good things right. here. And um, Dallas has so such a great rugby culture as it is. And perfect example is how you find a, I found a coaching position five days a week, which might not happen elsewhere in the country. Right. Yeah, and that was a huge, that was a huge, uh, you know, a big factor of why I chose Dallas was because of that. So I was able to do some coaching there. Um, so, yeah, so the best part about it, because I really enjoyed that. I'm still, do, you know, still here in Dallas, still really enjoying it. Um, and the worst part, obviously, is, you know, when that decision came on that Tuesday, we were supposed to move in on that, move into the team apartments on that Saturday and the Tuesday. So, um, you know, that was um, a lot. You know, I had my wife down here. We didn't know what to do. Um, however, you know, I will say we're still in transition and figuring out what's happening. Uh, Scott Sanju, Elaine Bassey have been very helpful through this. Uh, the commissioner, George Kilbrew, um, I reached out to him personally. He responded to me personally. And, um, you know, I want to thank him for that, um, for trying to help out my situation. Cause I was a little different situation compared to everyone else. You know, I was already down in Dallas, everyone, well, majority of the guys were trying to get down here that Saturday still, uh, when the moving date was. So, um, they've understood my situation and they're currently helping me out and trying to figure it out. So, um, you know, I still believe in, you know, like in Dallas, there's a lot of good things being here and I right. can see that it can make it a lot, you know, there are a lot of, they're ahead of a lot, you know, like I said, I've been in Austin, been in New York and they're, they're ahead of a lot of different ways in the community uh, compared to different markets. So those markets made it work. Um, right. So, yeah. So I, I mean, I, I really think the Dallas market. It's is, undoubtedly, 
so that to have Dallas be successful um, in whatever version may be supporting rugby is important for the growth of rugby on a national scale because you mm-hmm. said it's kind of a hub for activity when it comes to rugby culture. So, you know, we want them to be successful. We want them to be one of those 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 great pioneers uh, in professional rugby again in down in Dallas. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so many great points to be able to take away from that because your personal experience has been a good and bad, but the people that have made your mm-hmm. helped make your experience possible like Elaine Vasi, like Sanjay, as you said, and of course, George Killebrew, who reached out to you, at least in some communication. Mm-hmm. Those are all positives that even though something, you know, didn't go according to plan, people mm-hmm. are working their best to be able to make it right. Yep, 100%. Yeah, they are They are trying to make it right. And, um, you know, I know it's kind of crazy during this time. A lot of people reach out to me, which the community is really great. Um, people reach out to me, always trying to, you know, help. So I think that's really important to to let them know that hey, these are people too, and they're um, they're trying their best. So, so on that note, of Dallas, and I'm gonna I'm gonna ask what's on the mind of a lot of fans, just straight out. And uh, you know, you have a run pass or kick option here. Yeah. A lot of fans, like for example, and I'm gonna speak from from my perspective. I had actually <clears throat> once Dallas had announced that indeed they were going to be selling season tickets, uh, they were taking deposits. I immediately and, and Texas was very fairly open at this juncture. Yeah. <clears throat> I immediately got on, you know, southwest.com and went ahead and ordered uh ordered flights um yeah. so I could see my team Nola play in Dallas. We're not sponsored by Southwest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we're willing to be. <laughs> so, there you go. Um so uh you know, and it was gonna be on my spring break because it was gonna work out perfect. And then like yeah. a week later, um things are turned on its head. All of a sudden, right. it's it's not even no fans. It's no season for Dallas. Yeah. Um, you know, run, pass, or kick. What happened? This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Uh, what changed so quickly? I'll, I'll run with it. I'm not too sh- honestly, I, I'm not too sure with it. You know, I was talking with uh, the front office Monday before the news broke. Um, I just think that we, the players, the players only got told by a press release. Players haven't been told by ownership uh like i said elaine bassey scott sanju have been talking with us um i think that you know ownership talking to players just you know simple just it's a small organization right um just think about it any job or any market or a company that loses uh you know decides to quit jobs it's a small just to actually have a person a q a Q&A Q&A or something or frequently asked questions would have done the difference for players i think uh going to 2022 i think if um you know to build that trust uh, back up. I think ownership needs to get involved. Exactly what's happened, why it didn't work in 2021. Uh, just to put, you know, just have some reinsurance and build that trust back. Because right now, players sort of they don't. No one. So we're kind of kept in the dark. No one really knows what happened. We got the press release. Just a little, um, you know, just a little Zoom call that probably takes 30 minutes. You know, of 30 people just to explain, you know, what happened. This is the reason it's happened. This is why 2021 didn't work. Um, this is what 2022 is going to be. This is going to, you know, going to be different. And I think uh, putting a name, you know, to a, to the, or face to the name instead of just, you know, a piece of paper would do a lot of good stuff. Um, not too sure there's a lot, you know, of course there's always rumors, but us players, we really don't know what's going on. We were left in the dark. Right. Um, but, you know, I think going forward, um, I think ownership has to be more active if they want it for, to build players trust back up in the next year. For sure. And, you know, if you're, if you're a fan, yes, you'd be disappointed. But I guarantee you the players are more so, right? <laughs> so it's something well, we certainly, sorry, but a guy like Mikey, who basically, I mean, he's married. He has, he has a partner in his life now. You know, they up and shifted their whole life down to Dallas. I think we kind of, you know, I get frustrated from my perspective. Right. I said, but, you know, I also had to put it in perspective, like, hey, think about a guy like Mikey Brown. Think of guys like Bronson Tellis and, right. and Levi Van Lannan and some of those, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, kind of reality, young guys. A guy like Rob, you know, yeah, for you, 
Yeah, for a guy like you, Rob, yes, you're disappointed because we, you know, had a, a, an awesome opening day plan. You were going to travel down there, experience, you know, the thrill of a new expansion. Okay, it's disappointing. I won't get to be able to do that. Right. Yeah, and guys like like I mean, obviously for Mike, you're fortunate. You've got an opportunity to continue your rugby even without Dallas as a professional mm -hmm. team uh, because you're involved in a coaching position. Mm -hmm. Other people packed up their bags, left their jobs, perhaps moved yeah. across from other countries. In some cases, maybe they sold their car, got rid of their apartment. Yeah. You know. Yeah. No jokes. It happens. No. I mean, I had to do that when I came to this country. Right, I sold everything because imagine I got to the gate and somebody said, "Oh, sorry, closed." Yeah. Um, wow. So these are human stories. They're human tales. Yep. But here lies my important question. I'm going to ask you for a moment, Mikey, to be able to put in your commissioner hat, run past or pick. What <laughs> would right. you have done differently? Yeah, I'll uh, run with it. I think um, what I've done differently, if I was commissioner, I would have moved the dates beforehand, the vetting process be a little more uh, thorough. Uh, you know, I wouldn't allow – I wouldn't be allowed, you know, to take the money out of the bank per se at the last second, uh, at the 11th hour. So I'd move up the process, make it public exactly what's going on. Um, so these players, you know, these players, like I said, like myself, don't move up, move and they just get told also, you know, these other, let's say these draft, you just met the draft picks, right? They're trying to, you know, they come here to Dallas. The reason why Dallas went, you know, went that way, they're trying to get younger and develop these guys. Right. Um, hopefully they get on rosters. I don't know. Um, but you know, that, if they get it on rosters, then there's jobs being lost there. So they're way on the way down the depth chart and they're not getting that proper development either as a player. So if we go all the way back, I would move the, you know, make sure the vetting process is more stingent on these owners, milestones, make them public, uh, and make them, you know, months before, um, you know, a week into before training camp, right? Um, right. not too sure exactly, you know, how, what could have changed, you know, uh, December 16th compared to January 16th. I don't know exactly what changed. You know, uh, I don't really think that it's a COVID issue. I'm coaching right now in, in Dallas. Dallas is pretty open. Uh, you know, Globe Life uh, Stadium or park, whatever, would have been, you know, social, they could socially distance their fans. So, um, you know, like I said, I think it's a tiger thing and character thing from ownership, you know, could step up. But if I was commissioner, I would move everything up. Uh, so make sure that this doesn't happen again. Right. Absolutely. Definitely. We have to walk away from this going, what have we learned, right? Yep, a hundred percent. And you know, I don't want to make sure. I want to make sure that this doesn't happen again for other players. So I would hate that to happen for other players. Um, exactly why they need to have a player's voice in, into this. Right. You know, I know they're trying to make everything fine. Like I said, I complimented uh, George Killebrew for what he's done. However, any sports profession, professional league has a player's voice sitting at the table. Um, you know, at, for I know they figured it out, but for like a week, we didn't have any communication. We're in the dark, right? So right. that. You know, that's fun to tell your families or your, you know, your wife what's going on and you don't have anything, you know, you're stuck and you're just like, I don't, I don't have anything. Right. We need to have a player's voice, voice in there. Um, I hope, you know, through this, they realize, Hey, we should have a player's voice. Let's not make it difficult, which they currently are. So I think it's just, we need to learn from this and grow. And I just don't want this to happen to any other players. So I feel bad for all the players, the Glendale players that happen. The guys that are coming over. I was going to mention guys. that you know yeah, the guys I mean, who came from yeah. from the dispersal draft out of the uh, uh, the exit of the Raptors in 2020. You know, like here's these guys who are feeling like, oh man, isn't history just repeating itself? Yeah, I mean, I feel bad for them, and I just want you know these guys. You got to think about the player, right? You end your season back in March, you know, and then it's like, all right, we're, we're still trained. You know, it's going to be next year. Going to be next year. You train for 11 months, right? Through all this, you know, COVID stuff, and a lot of you know ups and downs I'm sure everyone has in their life. And then the last 11th hour, it's like, oh, no, that's not happening. That's a huge, you know, uh, that's a huge thing for these players. Like, that's a lot of mental, you know, strength that you're going to need. And you have to have a strong support system because they're really going to eat, eat, eat at you if you're not, you know, mentally right with that. So I really feel bad for the players. I know they're trying to make things work and hopefully they can, you know, be what they're supposed to be. Um, but I'm um, really constant of, you know, the players' feelings and their mental, you know, health right now because I'm sure it's pretty tough for all of them. Absolutely. I'm going to lighten the mood. We'll get back into for those fans watching. I know they want to know more about Dallas and a little bit more of what's going on right now in the current state of affairs. Because yeah. let's face it, guys, what are we uh, six weeks away from the start of the season? You know, March 20th. So, um, you know, things are yeah. going to progress here pretty quickly over the next six weeks. 
But I want to lighten the mood a little bit with Mikey and get to know him a little bit so that folks out there who follow him or maybe get down to Dallas and watch him in the coaching role. Um, <laughs> we're going to do a, a quick tap. Um, and and so I've, I've prepared some questions for you that are kind of unique. Um, first of all, we know you're, uh, you, you're now down in Dallas, but you spent quite a bit of time in New York. So um, which is your uh, fare of choice, New York style pizza or pulled pork? Oh, uh, no, I don't think anything beats New York style pizza. You know, you can get it for a buck. That's probably the best deal in New York <laughs> or in the well, world right there. You, for just, a buck. you just made the big guy cry. He's shedding tears right now because <laughs> he's visioning right now while he's trying to get a furnace going, folding up a big slice and just, you know, shoving it in his, in his gullet there, yeah. for sure. <laughs> All right. And, and again, it's, you know, for people that are at home that want to know a little bit more about Mikey, his dad, of course, you know, worked for Chrysler. He was in Detroit, a Detroit guy. So I'm going to ask him a question that I love to ask. I don't know how much people like it, but, you know, it's our show, so I get to do what I want. Um, so <laughs> as a Chrysler guy, Chrysler family, Dodge Ram or a Challenger, you get a, you get to pick. Oh, wow. Uh, gosh, that's tough. Uh, I'll say a Ram. You know, you can do more things with it, especially in the Midwest. You never know who, who you can help moving, you know, that you could be an asset someone else. But, uh, yeah, I think I think my dad has a Ram right now. He's had a Ram for, like, you know, 15 years. Those things, those things are beasts. So I enjoy the ramp. Good choice. Good choice. So yeah, <laughs> I got one myself and I like the, I like to represent the big heavies up front. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. We talked about, you know, you've got us, you've got your wife on board with you and she sounds like yeah. super supportive. God bless her. She sounds like a wonderful <laughs> lady to, to, you know, uh, manage the ups and yeah. downs and roller coasters of what's going on right now. So date night with your wife, you get to take her out and thank her for her wonderful support. Okay. Um, are you going to a mom and pop down there in Dallas or are you going to city classic? Uh, we'll go to the mom and pops down here. You know, we like to explore different areas, you know, just once you're in a new spot, you know, you want to try out everything. So I want to try make sure that we try out everything. Gotcha. Okay. So you've had, you've, you've gotten a good dinner at the mom and pop. You go back to your place. Oh, yeah. It's movie night, uh, action or comedy. Uh, I mean, for me, it's comedy. I mean, it really doesn't matter for her because she'll fall asleep, you know, 30 minutes afterwards. So, okay, you, know. you just lost any credibility with that perfect she'll, she'll be the first one. She'll, she'll be the first one to play that, uh, what, what, All right, so what's your top comedy uh, movie of all time? Uh, I like um, I like Billy Madison. Uh, that's okay. like Adam Sandler. That's that's probably one of my funniest ones. I can keep watching that. I always keep yep. watching. Okay. So, can't go wrong with that. Uh, Adam <laughs> all right, city vibe. Which city vibe do you prefer? Uh, I love New York or keep Austin weird. Oh, wow. Um, I'll keep Austin weird. They got, you know, they got a good, they got a lot of good things going down there in Austin. That's why people are moving down there. You know, it's a good vibe. Um, New York city is a little, not as fun as it used to be right now. So um, I'll, I'll go with Austin. Yeah. You got, you got uh, South by Southwest. Hopefully that'll pick up again. Mm. But uh, from what I understand, that's just an outstanding music festival. Mm. And again, keep that vibe going down there. That's yeah. cool. All right, so let's uh, we'll continue to talk about Dallas a little bit. Uh, you mentioned yeah. the trust factor. So, uh, run past or kick. What else do you think uh, in terms of communication, mm. uh, in terms of transparency? What are um, what are three things that Dallas can do in preparation for twenty twenty two to make mm. that transition um, better and you know and and, yeah. and get players on the, uh, back on board. Yeah, I'll run with that. I think, like I said, I think just a simple Zoom Zoom call for 30 minutes, exactly, just, or, you know, how long it takes. I don't think it takes very long. Just, like, what happened in 2021? What can change in 2022? Um, what's the difference? Um, again, just having a plan, um, just exactly, you know, with the players. You know, ownership just needs to, you know, speak face-to-face about with the players. That's the only thing to build trust. Speaking with players, it's just that I know. I just don't – a lot of players just don't um, – it wouldn't trust them, you know, you know, it yeah. just wouldn't trust them. So I think ownership needs to take involved. Um, so, I mean, I'll, I'll kick it back to you guys. If you guys have anything that, you know, you guys think, um, you know, they should try to do. Uh, let me jump in on this one. I agree with you, but one thing that I kind of hear, you know, in between is transparency, right? Yeah. We keep pre- preaching this on the show. And I think that, here is a perfect example of how just more communication could have been better. Even if you didn't have all the answers, it's okay, right? It's okay. We understand that this situation evolved so quickly. Um, I believe all the parties were blindsided. 
I believe that there's a lot of great lessons we can learn. And another thing that you had spoken about earlier is having a seat at the table. You know, if you know that there are going to be some core uh, uh, roster members that are still going to be present, like yourself, you might very well still be there, you know, come 2022, you're in the right position, you're in the Dallas area, you know, they can reach out to somebody like you and say, hey, you know what, Mike, we need a voice of the player and we want you to come in and sit in our conversations and just have that presence there of a, hey, how does this affect us? This is how we build trust. This is how we start redeveloping a relationship between the players and the organization because Mm. it will be challenging if you don't have that trust built again to be able to ask everybody once again to pack up their lives and move to Dallas. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree, Ty. I, uh, in my mind, and, and again, working in a school system, you obviously, I mean, there are some schools that really function well. There are some schools you talk to, I talked to my other colleagues that really function pretty poorly. And it all comes down to leadership and leadership. For me, it comes down to, you know, uh, transparency, but also um, working with all uh, the people involved to make a good decision. And, and the message of, hey, you may not like the decision always, um, but once we find a way to move forward, we're right. asking that you support that decision and do the best we can to move forward in the right, right. way. I think those are two ways that, that uh, trust can be easily built. Um, and and there's an opportunity. Um, and, and on that note, we had a couple of questions surrounding this. Um, what's your next yeah. step, Mikey, run past your kick? Uh, yeah. Do you have a future in the MLR? Uh, Doug yeah. Wilkie, thank you, Doug, for writing in. Um, you know, what are what are your choices moving forward? Yeah. And um, regards to the MLR and your future as a player. Yeah, I'll run with that. Um, yeah, I still want to play in the MLR. Um, you know, currently I'm free, free agent. So if any, you know, team wants to reach out to me, they, you know, hit me up, <laughs> but, uh, no, I just want, yeah, I still want to play. I still want to play. I still think that, um, you know, I think last year would have been a really good year for me. And I think, uh, this year would have actually been good, a really, really good year for me. Um, so I think I can, you know, bring, bring a lot to the table for a team. Um, you know, I think I'm a, high character guy um that can really good locker room that could bring you know really competitiveness and to a winning culture so uh stuff that i was trying to you know bring down to dallas that i thought you know i was really passionate about but uh for 2021 um you know i think i can really help the team uh get over the edge and they need to you know a locker room guy and a guy who can compete against anyone doesn't really care who they're going up against um you know and his experience in the league um you know i'm all on board so um yeah i'm just i'm trying to you know see what happens you know it's like i said it's kind of tough timing uh, a lot of rosters are already filled out, right? Um, right. So uh, it's kind of, you know, tough, but, you know, it, injuries happen, seasons happen in this league. Um, things rugby always, you know, what parents always say, you know, rugby, it's always changing. So, um, you know, I hope, um, you know, I hope someone reaches out to me, but I, I still definitely want to play in 2021. You know, and, and and I'm glad you brought us in that direction because you obviously there's some long-term plans and, uh, as a guy who loves youth rugby, who loves to see you know high school rugby grow, um, I certainly wish you all the best as a coach. I think that, that those those kids that you're going to be coaching have a unique opportunity. I hope that they embrace it. I hope that they <laughs> they they jump on board with with uh, with your philosophy and what you want to do right. and how you want them to do it because um, they have a unique experience to work with a, a wonderful individual and a and somebody who has a wealth of experience. But I want to talk a little bit and ask another question. Um, and people may not may or may not know this, and and um, I don't know what your familiarity with this is. Uh, one of my sources indicated that uh, the MLR this week, uh, I think starting today, has an MLR mandated quarantine, uh, and that involves no practice, no weights, no social gatherings for one week. It's basically go out, get your groceries, um, mm-hmm. but other than that, stay at home. Um, so my question is this: run, pass, or kick? Um, is do you think this is going to be effective? Um, in terms of will players follow these quarantines, um, you know, leading up to the start of training camp here uh, in February? Yeah. I think I'll, I'll run with it. Like I said, it's been, a, you know, 11 months, um, you know, well, a couple of guys, you know, we played rugby in Bermuda, but that was about, you know, that's a little different than Major League Rugby. So it's like 11 months just waiting and everyone's trying to get back. So I think I think everyone's going to take it super serious. Um, you know, it's the guys that, you know, New York guys who might take public transport, you know, that's, that's the tough part, you know, the, how are they going to, you know, how are they going to do that? They have to get creative a ways they, you know, have to do their life. Um, you know, if another player had a different job, um, that's going to, you have to get creative. Everyone's, you know, situation's different, but I think all the guys, you know, 
they don't play this, you know, guys are, aren't playing, and especially the American, American guys, they aren't playing it for the money. You know, they're playing it for the love and they want this to happen. So I think, you know, 11, you know, 11, 12 months of just not playing. I think they'll do anything possible. To right. Get I mean, the MLR is certainly not in the same position as other professional leagues, right. even rugby leagues around the globe, right? Where mm-hmm. they can employ the technique of bubbles, which is already proven to be inconsistent in any case. But yeah. as you so rightly pointed out, Mikey, is that everybody wants this to be successful. And on the player side, they have even more reason to want it to be a success than anybody else, right? Sure. Because all we want to do, all we want to do is get back mm-hmm. to playing rugby. Exactly. Exactly. Everyone just wants to pass the ball around and just, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of pent up aggression. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's probably a fair point, right? Those first few games, no doubt, Lee, would be That's a bit sloppy, but I can <laughs> it'll be filled with a lot of passion oh, yeah. and a lot of energy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, Mikey, my next question is, you know, uh, surrounding that, you know, the next steps for the league itself as we enter into 2021 uh, and and what, what are things going to be like? Um, you know, I've talked about getting tickets to some games and there are rumblings that with Dallas backing out, obviously teams are missing a game. Now teams are down to 15 games, um, kind of throws the schedule off. So have you heard anything, run, pass, or kick? Have you heard anything coming out of the league, whether it's through other players or through your contacts in the league? Um, are we going to see, you know, the schedule shift remarkably um, as we go into 2021? His mic's so, on. He censored himself. He's like, oh, sorry, sorry, I can't answer you. <laughs> <laughs> you muted yourself. Yeah, there you go. Can you hear me? Yeah. You can just yeah. say pass. You don't All right, yeah, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I'll, I'll say, I'll, I'll, I'll pass it. I'll pass it. I'll pass this question. I haven't heard, I haven't heard anything, but if you guys want to jump in, I'll pass, pass uh, it. You know, let's, everything is going to be speculative, right? I mean, look, in theory, it should technically be fairly easy because you've got a blueprint on a 12-team model from last season, um, you know, with, with the Raptors falling out and the Dallas falling out. We were going to be a 14-league team, now obviously 12. Um, yeah, bye weeks are, are, are a possibility. I mean, uh, you know, you've got to look at, at, at what the upsides can be. I mean, I'm pretty sure that they're working pretty fast in it. We had believed that by Friday there were rumblings that we would have an announced uh, schedule, but it might very well be sitting between the teams trying to figure it all out because they each have to have a say. And obviously everybody's trying to be able to find the most favorable schedule for their teams. Rob, what are your thoughts? Um, yeah, it's kind of, well, I kind of asked the question because I do have some thoughts. Um, I know you're shocked by that. But, uh, you know, remember that every because of the fact if Dallas were going to be in, you'd have 13 teams. And therefore, each week, every team has uh, there's a team sitting out there that has a bye week right? right, or is is off. Right. But there's several weeks where you have three teams that are off. So as I look through the schedule, I kind of identified, OK, if. Uh, for example, week one, it was supposed to be the Giltinis and the Jackals. Obviously, the Jackals are out, so the Giltinis are sitting there. You know, do you give them that first week off, give them an extra week to get uh, th- organized? We heard uh, San Diego is actually going to be playing in, in, in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Does does uh, L.A. need an, a, you know some additional time to get things structured and organized if they're indeed going to be shifting because of uh, COVID? Um, situation in California, you know, can Toronto, if if they have a plan to move forward, can, you know, they play a game against the Giltinis and therefore it gives them a game in the first week. And then you start moving through the schedule and you see opportunities to take that one team that was off because every team has two bye weeks. You take that one team is off and then, you know, have them play um, the the team that, that lost the game with Dallas. Um, there's only, as I looked through it, I think there was only one week where it was kind of weird in which, um, like San Diego would, would, if you did that would play the same team two weeks in a row. Um, so there's only really one week that I could see that it wouldn't work out, but I'm sure the folks in the league are really, are really figuring out how to make this work effectively. Right. And as you said before, all the partners have to be on board with it. And until you're there, you know, uh, uh, I mean, we hope to be able to hear news soon, right? And when we do, we'll continue sharing it with our fans of the show here. And we'll continue staying on top of it, as we have done already, we believe. Uh, and now we're, we're, we're getting some communication from the league, you know, with yesterday's uh, announcement that the dispersal draft had taken place. They outlined the structure of that uh, draft. 
now the players that have been drafted enter into that exclusive negotiation period where they have the ability not only to be able to sign with the club that they have been drafted to, but they also have the ability to be traded to another club should they be interested there. And so those negotiations continue. And as far as the free agents are are concerned, they have to wait for a lot of things to be settled before their turn will come to be, right? So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of uncertainty. It is a constantly evolving situation. Guys like you, Mikey, are, of course, very skilled, have been really from the birth of this league, have been a part of the the foundation, Mm -hmm. uh, at least out in New York, certainly so. Mm -hmm. Um, Your skills, like many of those that are free agents, are valuable. It's just about are there enough spots, right? So we hope to be able to continue seeing that be uh, a a positive for for everybody or positive things to come for everybody. But as we take the opportunity to be able to head out on this show, we wanted to be able to swing it back to you, Mikey, to be able to leave a final thought, a shout out to friends or family, any Mm. special message you want to serve. The floor is yours, my friend. Yeah, I want to shout out to uh, HBM, High high Performance Management, Uh, my my. My boys at, uh, there with Anthony Perry, Ryan Murphy, and Matt Houston. They've been, especially at this time, uh, they've really been a you know helpful helpful to me, and I hope they can help with other players uh, through this and realize how important you know being representative is in these types of things. You never know what can happen, especially a startup league. Uh, my family has been very supportive during this time, this tough time, um, and also just the players. You know, the players. You're not stuck. You're never stuck uh, in one position or just in one spot in life, and uh, you know you're supposed to be where you're supposed to be. So, um, you know, things, things will happen for a reason. So those are the things that, you know, I can encourage the players for that. Um, but, uh, the Jackals, you know, like I said, I think 2022, I really want to help, uh, build that and be a part of that and try to bring that trust to it. Cause I just think Dallas community, uh, the sports market in general could really be a, a huge benefit for rugby in the U S and I just see a huge, huge opportunity for growth. So, um, yeah, those are my those are my things. But um, and also shout out Dallas Jesuit, uh, all all sixty of the of the young guys, uh, great rugby players. Uh, hopefully they can win state. So talk about winning state. Uh, Scott wrote in since he was not able to be with us. He wants to know um, who do you think is going to win the Texas Cup? You got a quick one as we part out here. I'll, I'll say the I'll say the uh, Gil Gronies. Gil Gronies. Gil Gronies. Okay. Right. You got to stick with the Austin crowd because. That works for you, right? I get yeah. that. <laughs> we, we know, yeah. What, 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 the funny part is Scott's prediction was the Jackals. Then <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> But, you know, 2022 will be the year that we hopefully see the return yeah. of the Jackals in their debut season. We hope that somebody like yourself, Mike, will be a part of that. And we hope that they will be listening and saying, hey, you know what? Let's bring in a player like this guy to be an ambassador in that transition getting back because that's where we need people like you who are clearly so passionate about what they do. Great personalities for the sport, great ambassadors for the growth of it. And uh, thank you for spending your time here with us on the Rugby Rant. Loved it. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. And Thanks, Mike. Uh, we appreciate it. And good luck to the boys, to your boys down there at Jesuit. I uh, hope they have a great season. Uh, love to see it. Keep us informed on in how they're doing, and and we'll I give will. them a shout out if they ever need some extra motivation. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Thank you. And before we head out, I'd like to be able to take the opportunity to once again remind you you've been watching the Rugby Rant. My name is Ty Braga, your host for today's activities, alongside Rob the Hammer Hammer Schmidt. In the absence of Scott Ferrara, and of course on behalf of Mikey Brown, I want to say thank you for watching this episode, and we'll see you at the next. <laughs>